Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. And right now is no exception. We've heard you listeners and know you're counting on us to keep the baking conversation going strong, even in uncertain times. So that's what we intend to do. In today's short and sweet bonus episode, we'll find out if buckwheat, rice, and oats made our Russian tea cakes a standout, and we'll each award a blue ribbon to the flour dessert we loved most in March. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, as you know, from the very start of our show, we've sometimes had to record preheated episodes a week or two or even sometimes three weeks before they drop. That's right. And whether because of work or family, travel, time zone, or other (laughs) commitments, we are often working in both a real time and a podcasting time. With everything that's going on in the world right now, we thought we would remind our listeners of that because things are changing on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis, and that won't necessarily be reflected in each week's episode. And toward that end, Andrea, we've also created a resource guide on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. It's under the tab called Quarantine Baking, and we have tried to respond to the numerous listener questions and concerns about baking during these times. We have things from starting your own sourdough starter to all of the recipes that don't contain flour that we've baked over the years. So We hope you understand our scheduling issues, hope you can tune into those resources on the website, and we also trust you're not tuning into Preheated for breaking news, but rather a few moments of relaxation. So without further ado... Stefan, when we first made that double ginger spelt cookie in episode 167, I told you that it was the first time I had used spelt flour. Okay. I lied. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea, you're so tricky. I know. It turns out I realized a few days later that I have used spelt before, and I think you might even remember this. Back a couple of years ago, I went to something called the Cascadia Grains Conference. It's here in Olympia, and it's a conference devoted to flour and mills and farmers and bringing everyone together. It was a really fascinating thing. And one of the baking classes that I took, we made a spelt spice cookie. and. It was so good, and when I told you about it, it sounded familiar to you because the title, I think, actually had the word digestive in it. It was like a belt digestive biscuit. Oh, right. I mean, digestive cookies are so huge here, and they're kind of like an oaty, nubbly, little snacky cookie. My favorite, of course, are coated in chocolate, but... uh (laughs) You would kind of have them after the end of the meal to kind of settle your stomach, I think is the original idea. Yes. And we didn't coat ours in chocolate, but they were absolutely delicious. And a couple of people in class said they reminded them of a particular brand that I think you were familiar with. It was a McVitie's Hobnob. This entire conversation is like flooding back to me Yes. Yes. That was it. That was it. So I wanted to remind people about the McVitie's. And I'll see if I can dig up that recipe for those homemade McVitie's digestives because they were really good. 
So you had used the spelt almost three years ago now. I know. That was back in episode 64. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking about the past, Andrea, I want to go back, and I can't remember when exactly I talked about this, but it was at least a year ago. I'm not sure you remember when the scale, my food scale, when the bowl on that broke. Remember me updating all of you guys? I do. <laughs> about remember that little crisis? This. I do, because I found it so confusing. My mm-hmm. food scale came without a bowl. And so I've never right. used one particular bowl with my food scale. I just use whatever bowl I'm using to throw my ingredients into. And I think then you came to stay with me at some point and you saw how mine is set up. It, it just fits right on the scale. I can't really describe it, it except there's kind of like a lip and the bowl fits right over that lip. So it's very secure. Yeah, there's a ring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, mine, exactly. mine's a flat surface. Mine looks like a mirror almost. It's just a f- completely flat surface, and yours has that little ring to hold the bowl in place. And that's what I'd been doing in the interim, just using, you know, weighing a bowl that I had, something else, and putting it on top of there. But it was just always kind of irritating me that I didn't have that bowl that fit. <laughs> well, I would love to give a shout out to the makers of my scale, and it's called. E-Tech City, and it's spelled E-T-E-K-C-I-T-Y. So I'm not going to be giving E-Tech City a shout out for their spelling, but I am going to be giving them a shout out for sending me a free replacement bowl when I told them that mine had cracked and was unusable. Andrea, I love this kind of thing because I hate having to get rid of something and just replace it wholesale. I was thrilled. Obviously, I had just used it for years and years. It had gotten heavy wear. It was really probably not mm-hmm. E-Tech City's fault that this bowl had cracked. And they went ahead and shipped me out another one for free. So they make a variety of kitchen supplies. And I just have to give a shout out because I love that level of customer service. So I'm back in business with a brand new bowl. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, E-Tech City. That is great. <laughs> well, it is time to review this week's Bake Along. That is the Buckwheat Thumbprints with Cherry Preserves. This came from Alice Medrick, and it's adapted from her book she published in 2014 called Flavor Flowers. And we discussed and introduced this recipe last week, and I'm really excited to hear what you thought about them. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off? You know, Andrea, all month we've been experimenting with a variety of flowers, and I really feel like we are finishing off the month really strong because this had not one... Not two, but three flowers in the batch. And they were buckwheat, oat flour, and white rice flour. That was also known as Thai rice flour. Now, I think we had mentioned last episode, the only one we were really very familiar with, or the only one we were unfamiliar with, was that Thai rice flour because we had done some baking with oat flour and buckwheat flour in the past. That's correct. And I want to throw in some information about these cookies You might recall that in each of our previous episodes during Flower Month, I've made the caution that just because we're using these unusual flowers or unusual to us, perhaps different to us, that they're not gluten-free. So we Mm -hmm. used spelt, we used emmer, and we used einkorn. Those are all ancient grains, but they are not gluten-free. But this final recipe, ta-da, buckwheat is gluten-free, which I find very confusing because the name wheat is right (laughs) in the word. So I looked it up to confirm buckwheat is definitely gluten-free. Rice flour is gluten-free. 
oat flour, you need to make sure you're getting one that's labeled gluten-free. So okay. if you have gluten-free oats on hand and you're making your own oat flour like I did, obviously it's going to be gluten-free. Otherwise, you want to make sure and check on the label that you're getting one that's gluten-free. But this is a cookie that is more inclusive and that all of our gluten-free friends can eat. And I'm so excited about that. You know, the other thing that makes this a more inclusive recipe as well as maybe perfect for these times is it is eggless. It is a cookie dough that is eggless. Of course, when I see that, I think, yee I can eat the batter to my heart's content. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What it's using in place of the egg is cream cheese, 60 grams of cold cream cheese in addition to 170 grams of butter. The rest of your ingredients there, fairly standard cookie ingredients, sugar, salt, baking soda, a little bit of water, and vanilla. Then you have some powdered sugar for dusting and 80 grams of cherry preserves for filling your thumbprints. It was optional if you wanted to do that, Andrea, if you wanted to keep them more in line with a traditional Russian tea cake, or as we talked about last episode, a Mexican, Italian, or Swedish wedding cookie, you could just keep them in the ball and roll them in the powdered sugar. What did you do there? I did both because oh, I, nice. yeah, I love sour cherry preserves, so I definitely wanted some that had that in it. But I also like the idea of having the cookies without the cherries in them because I thought they would keep better and I could stack them on top of each other in my fridge. They'd be a little bit easier to freeze or to store yeah. I do want to do a quick throwback on the ingredients. I'm not sure we mentioned the number one ingredient, which is one and a third cups or 130 grams of either walnuts or pecans. Oh, and great point. I know for myself, I use pecans. How about you? Yeah, and I used walnuts. So I'm glad that we have some different flavor perspectives there to talk about. Yes. Okay. So the process for these was maybe a little different than cookie recipes in general because you are doing a lot of it at least to start in the food processor. So you're combining your nuts, all of your flours, your sugar, salt, and soda, and really you know grinding that up until everything is really finely ground, adding in your cream cheese and butter, and processing until it's smooth. Now we cautioned last week this is not a quick recipe. You want to refrigerate that for two hours but preferably 24. Andrea, I was having my flashbacks to my Pignoli Lacy almond mat and Ugh. how they spread really badly for yeah. me. So I went ahead and I I think I had about 23 hours of chilling. It was just under that one full day of chilling. And then I kind of had the opposite problem, which is that my dough was so stiff, I had to let it warm up a little bit in order to even roll it and work with it. How long did you chill and how, how did that work for you? I chilled mine for less than the 24 hours, but it was definitely overnight. So yeah, I put okay. them in, I think, sort of mid-morning, midday on one day, and I took them out the next morning. I didn't have any trouble scooping them out and making them into the shapes. So okay. perhaps I was under the 24-hour window, but I still was definitely in a spot where it was very easy to handle the dough, and I didn't have any sticking. I occasionally put some ice water on my hands. That's a trick that I've been using a lot more recently, and it works so well. I mean, anytime you're handling sticky dough, just put a little bit of ice water in your hands, and it really helps you from keeping that dough getting stuck on your fingers. I followed your tip to the letter. I remembered that because I started trying to roll these and they were really greasy mm -hmm. and they were just sticking and it's just not working. It's not fun. It's not uh, practical. And that makes such a difference. It's almost magical how much that water really helps you. It really does come in handy. The cooking time on these is fairly low. It's, it's 325 degrees Fahrenheit. What's your Celsius equivalent? 
I did a 165 degree fan. The actual Celsius equivalent is 162.5. So I went up just a smidge. Okay. And then the instructions are set up to allow you to bake two sheets at one time. You know that I'm against that. I just don't have good results when I do that. So yep. I baked only one sheet at a time. It says 15 to 20 minutes, and it's a little bit tricky because the buckwheat flour is already this lovely brown nutty color. So yeah. you can't tell if your cookies are browning. She says you'll have to tip one up gently and have a peek underneath. I didn't do that just because I remembered back in episode 167 how fragile those spelt cookies were. And yep. I was afraid that this might be the same. Me so too. I just went with 17 minutes right there in the middle. I pulled them out. I let them rest about five minutes on the pan before I moved them over to the rack. And that turned out to be just perfect. Yeah, I had a similar memory as well. I And I found these to be equally delicate and soft. And when they were too warm, they were really hard to transfer. So I also just stayed put. I did one sheet at a time and just was patient with that. I did all of mine as the thumbprint. So what you want to do when those are still warm or even hot, I think the recipe says, is to poke your handle of a wooden spoon about halfway into the center. But then you're going to wait and fill them when they're cool. So you kind of have to do the first step if you're going to make the thumbprint when they're warm and then back off a little bit. I did have a bit of a spread, Andrea. It wasn't horrible. It certainly wasn't any kind of um, disaster. I tried making them a little bit bigger. I tried making them a little bit smaller. They all spread so they weren't nice and round like her picture, but Mm. that wasn't a huge, it wasn't a huge deal to me. Did you have any spreading? I had some spreading, but I didn't feel like it was any more than any typical cookie. Okay. So I was yeah. I was happy with the amount of spread. And again, I think just because of the brownness and the nuttiness, I like these not being perfect circles because they look a little more rustic, if you know what I mean. I do. And they're very, very pretty cookies. So you have oh, this kind so of darker brown of the cookie. Then you dusted them with powdered sugar and then filled them with the cherry jam. And mine was a very bright, almost purplish red color and I thought they were just lovely. I thought they were beautiful and I thought they were absolutely delicious. I made one mistake. I (laughs) thought I grabbed sour cherry jam Mm -hmm. and it turns out when I started filling my cookies and I looked more closely at the jar I had grabbed spiced cherry jam. So I tasted it and I have to be honest I did not love it. It had a lot of those holiday baking spices in it. The clove, the cinnamon, the ginger, sort of that flavor. But because it was a smaller amount going into each cookie, I thought that it would be okay. And sure enough, it was. I mean, yeah. I when I served these to my husband, I didn't say to him, oh, this is a, you know, spiced cherry jam, and that's not what I meant. And, you know, I just yeah, gave yeah, it yeah. to him. He absolutely loved them. And then I think, in fact, it was a week or two later, he went to use the jam for something, and he said, oh, I don't like this. Why did you buy this? And I, when I explained it to him, you know, he said, oh, I didn't even realize that when I ate the cookie. So yeah. the cherry preserves really are just a little cherry on the top. I think they add visual color. I think they add a little bit of moistness, which is nice. But I don't think you need to worry too much about the flavor. Whatever you have on hand will be just fine. I think that's a really good point, Andrea. If you don't like cherry jam, try raspberry, try strawberry, whatever you like, I think is going to be nice in there. Yeah, I really liked the taste of these as well. 
I thought they just had a very nice, delicate, and crumbly texture. Mm-hmm. I have a note here that I ate way too many hot out of the oven <laughs> uh, before I even filled them with the cherry preserves as well. Um, unfortunately, no one else in my family got too excited about this. I can't say I was super surprised going in. I'm really the only walnut lover in the family. The kids just really want chocolate in their cookies. So <laughs> although I would definitely make these again, it's not a great idea for me to have however many dozen just for me. But they're lovely for a tea. You know, we've talked about our PDF of our classy cookies. This is mm-hmm. going on there. They are, I thought they were delicious and lovely. And I'd be happy to make them again. And I'd frankly be happy to eat them all again myself too. I also ate too many hot out of the oven. That was my favorite way. But with the ones that I didn't fill with the cherry preserves, I put those into the freezer. And I've occasionally popped into the freezer and had one. And I have to say, I'm starting to really like them that way, maybe even better. You know, nice cold cookies. That's sort of a weird phrase, but it just tastes good. Are you waiting for them to defrost or are you just able to still eat them? Are they soft enough to eat when they're still kind of like hard and frozen? They're soft enough to eat straight out Uh of the freezer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I loved the flavor. I love the walnut flavor. I'm a big walnut fan. Did you really taste the flowers here, Andrea? That was one thing I have a note on. You know, I thought the nut flavor was so strong that I'm not sure I could really taste the nuances of, say, that Thai rice flour. Um, maybe the oats, maybe the buckwheat because they're a heartier flavor, but I'm not I'm not sure I was really – I may need to experiment with Thai rice flour on its own to really understand what that one's about. Yeah, I thought the Thai rice flour might be even a little bit more for texture. I mean, it was such the consistency of cornstarch. True. I thought it served a different purpose there other than flavor. I agree with you. I don't know that I could taste the buckwheat per se, but I think part of that is because I don't have experience with buckwheat, so I don't Mm. know what I'm looking for. And all I knew is that these tasted different than my mother-in-law's. And she uses walnuts in hers, in her Mexican wedding cookies. And so I thought, you know, they they are so different. I don't know whether it's the buckwheat or the fact that I use pecans instead of walnuts. But I really, really enjoyed them. And I do love having a gluten-free cookie for my friends who need to be gluten-free. So I'm definitely hanging on to this recipe. Yeah, gluten-free and egg-free. So that's a win. Well, Uh remember, we'll have a link to that recipe. It was uh, Alice Medrich's buckwheat thumbprints with cherry preserves a riff on a russian tea cake in the show notes for this episode which is episode 170 on our website preheatedpodcast.com as well as our facebook group Stefan, it is the fifth monday of the month and you know what that means we are going to (laughs) each award a blue ribbon to the flower dessert that we loved the most this month so kicking it off in episode 167 we made the double ginger spelt cookie from the Dalesford Cooking School. In episode 168, we reviewed the acorn hand pies, and that was from Jovial, a flour company. In episode 169, we made Emmer soda bread, and that came from Claire Mariage, the CEO of Dove's Farm Flour Company. Okay, hold up. Did you find out that it is mariage and not marriage? I don't know. I just felt like saying it that way. <laughs> We need some clarity, Claire, if you're listening. Okay, got it. 
And then today you just heard us review the buckwheat thumbprints with cherry preserves from Alice Medrich. So Andrea, a wonderful month. I really feel like we learned so much this month. And I have so many of these flowers now in my pantry. I can't wait to see what the future holds as far as baking up with them. But let us know this month, Flower Power, listener suggested, where is your bonus blue ribbon going to go? My blue ribbon is going for episode 169, the Emmer Soda Bread. Whoa! I had not used Emmer flour before, and as you know, I was not a huge soda bread fan, always finding it a bit too dry for my taste. Yeah. And I just was so impressed with how quickly this came together, how easy it was to bake. And granted, I did eat most of it hot out of the oven with butter on it. But (laughs) even as the week progressed and I was slicing it in the morning and using it for my morning toast, I found that it held up. And I just thought it was a nice, sturdy little bread recipe. I am tucking it away and I feel like I'm going to be making it and not reserving it for my once a year St. Patrick's Day celebration. So... How about you, Stefan? Where does your blue ribbon fall this month? I'm going with the original bake of the month, and that was from episode 167, the double ginger spelt cookies from Dalesford. We loved so much about this recipe. It was a small batch. That was so great. It made about 10 to 12 cookies. It was easy and quick. It was cute. It was delicious. I love the warm flavor of the ginger. And maybe most importantly in this month that was of all new flowers, I just fell in love with spelt. And I have Mm -hmm. used it many times over this month. I've already put in other orders from my pantry to keep it stocked with spelt flour. I think it is the most likely contender for me to use on a regular basis Mm -hmm. going forward. But, you know, I have to say, I thought your pick – although a dark horse, I was was not expecting that. (laughs) A dark horse. It was. It was a dark horse for you. I think the Emmer flower overall had the best flavor all month. It was mm-hmm. my favorite flavor. It was really nutty. It was really toasty. And it did all of that kind of on its own. And so it really kind of punched above its class or however that phrase goes. I think so too. I, I'm really proud of us. We tried four new flowers, the spelt, the einkorn, the emmer, and the buckwheat, as well yep. as the rice flour and the oat flour. Right. And I love our listeners who weighed in on the Facebook listeners group with all of their favorite flowers. So I have some others I want to try. I know I saw tough flour. I saw a lot of people raving about the nut flowers, whether it was almond flour, hazelnut flour, and then those new, kind of in my mind, new, I'm putting that in air quotes, paleo-type flowers. And those are the things like cauliflower flower and banana flower and cassava flower. So I think there's a lot of experimenting yet to be done on my flower horizon. And as we've said before, this month was a listener suggestion. So thank you so much once again to listener Monica, who planted this seed I think more than a year ago, we have hung on to it. We knew it was going to be a great month, and indeed it was. So we hope you've had as much fun as we have. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we're turning from flour to sour. Sweet and sour, that is. All throughout April, we'll take a look at those tangy additions that give our baked goods such a creamy finish. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. 
If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Our thoughts are with you and your families and loved ones. We hope our show has provided a bit of respite when you've needed it most. Thanks for listening. Be well and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.